Good morning, Northview. It is um, obviously a bad situation, and I, I really feel like um, it's easy for us to look at what's going on in the news uh, with Ukraine and look at it as some kind of a movie and not realize it's real, and these are real lives and real people that are in harm's way. Um, I was eating breakfast with Sandy yesterday, and I said, I mean, we just can't even imagine war on our own soil. I said, can you imagine just being here and all of a sudden a bomb drops next door? I mean, we just can't even wrap our brains around that, but it is, uh, it's very real for these people, and I think it's imperative that Christians are praying for them. Not only are we supporting Convoy of Hope, but uh, Steve Bowles, who attends Northview, is the executive director of Missions to Ukraine. Many of you also will recognize Steve right there as our ASL interpreter, and he's done that for uh, well over 20 years. He has uh, 45 staff members that are still there. Uh, they minister to over 1,500 families, 600 of those families with kids with special needs, to orphanages with kids with disabilities, and to deaf children. And um, Steve interprets in this service, but I just thought, I'm gonna ask Steve if you'd come up here. <laughs> I know this makes it inconvenient for you, but. Um, I know that, um, let me give you this, just about uh, an hour ago, you got a voicemail from your secretary who's there. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, it was a quick voicemail, um, 25 seconds, bombs were going off. Uh, she had her three children with her. Um, they were running down into a bomb shelter. Uh, tanks, bombs and guns shooting at their apartment building. Um, it's just awful. People are dying, and, but the gospel is going forward. Our staff is making phone calls to the people that we work with, our clients, our moms who are pregnant, uh, families that have children with disabilities, and praying with them, helping to calm their fears as much as possible throughout the bombs, and just telling them about Jesus. Well, we're giving, we're giving um, uh, missions to Ukraine $50,000 besides Convoy of Hope to help. And guys, we don't, we don't do this uh, as much as we should, but I want us to pray. And uh, what I'm gonna ask you to do today, if you're comfortable with it, is just to turn right around where you're at and kneel there at your seat. If you're not comfortable with that, you can just stay seated. But um, we're gonna kneel down here and we're gonna pray. <clears throat> God, I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for the very fact we know that there's power in prayer. And sometimes we feel so very, very helpless not knowing what to do, but we know that we can pray and that you've promised when you two or three would agree concerning anything toward heaven, you would do it. And so we humbly come into your presence this morning 
And we ask, dear God, that you, uh, you would be with the people of Ukraine. We know that where prayer focuses, power falls. And so we pray for these men and women and innocent children who are now in harm's way. We pray for the families that have already lost loved ones. And just pray, God, that you'd wrap your arms around them and just uphold them with your righteous right hand. They need you, Father. So, God, we are gathered together and we're joining our hearts and we're asking you to intervene in this conflict. We're asking you to stop the bloodshed. As we pray, Father, for the peace of Ukraine, we know that we're praying in accordance to your will. We know that's your heart's desire as well. And we know that you hurt when your people hurt. I cannot even begin to imagine the horrors of war on your own soil, and I can't even begin to imagine what they're experiencing, the fear they're experiencing right now. So I pray that you would make your presence known to the people of Ukraine. I ask that you would protect them and comfort them. I pray for Steve's staff that you would be with them, Father, and that you would protect them. I pray for Steve, that you would give him uh, the mind of Christ and to be so far away from them right now, it's hard um, to know what to do. And so I just pray that you'd give him the wisdom that he needs. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, that we can look to you for all things. And we just pray now um, you would intervene in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, pardon. <clears throat> Thank you, Northview, for praying with me in agreement on that. I think it's powerful that we do that. On a brighter note, um, Northview is a um, multi-site church. That's our strategy and to reach the world. We're going to do everything short of sin to reach those that are far from Christ. And one of the ways we've done that is by opening up campuses. We are... Uh, one church in 12 different locations. Four of those locations are actually in prisons. It's been a while since we have announced uh, a new location. And um, so we've been working on one for a while. And so I just wanted to announce to you today that our next multi-site will be this fall in Noblesville. <laughs> I'm excited about that because it's probably the number one question I get asked. People come up and say, I don't understand. We have one in Westfield. We have one in Fishers. We have one in Carmel. What's wrong with Noblesville? And it's like, there's nothing wrong with Noblesville. We just have not been able to find a location. And so we have found a location. We're excited about it. So again, more details will come later. We'll tell you exactly when and where, uh, probably in a few weeks. But we're going to be asking some of you to step up and help us to reach that community. So that is a yay God. So again, if you're not already there, turn to page 54 in your booklet. Many of you will remember uh, the story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25 about the importance of being faithful stewards. It's one of my favorite stories that Jesus told. It's powerful. He wants us to know what it looks like to be found faithful. He wants us to know what it looks like for us to be, or for us to put Christ first before all things. So he tells them the story of a master that's planning on going on a long trip, and he entrusts three of his servants with all that he has. The first servant comes in, and he gives him five bags of silver, which at the time, guys, was a whole lot of money. 
The master trusts him. This is important. The master trusts him to manage the silver while he's gone. He's putting it into his care, into his charge. To another man, he gives two bags of silver with the very same instructions to manage his resources while he's gone. Then a third servant is brought in and he gives him one bag of silver with the same instructions as that he gave the other two. Take care of what I've given you until I return. Well, the master leaves. He's gone for quite a while. He then later returns and he calls the three servants together and he asks them to give an account on how they managed what he trusted them with. The guy with the five bags of silver said, well, you know what? I went out and I invested it well. Instead of five bags, here's 10 bags of silver back. He's certainly been a good steward of what his master entrusted him with. The same, of the, the same is true of the servant who had been given two bags of silver. He also doubled what he was trusted with. And he gives instead of two bags back, he returns four bags back to his master. To those two servants, the master had nothing but praise. He was full of praise in, uh, uh, because of the faithfulness of these two servants. And he says to them, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so I'm going to give you even more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Guys, can I just stop right there and say, don't you want to hear that one day? Because every one of us are going to stand before God and we're going to give an account on how we, on what, how we handled the things that God trusted us with. I, I want to hear God say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You did well with the things that I trusted you with. You were faithful. But then the third servant came in and he'd been given one bag of silver and he comes in and he says, man, I was afraid. I was afraid I'd mess up, so I tucked it away. I went outside and I buried it in the ground. So here is your original bag of silver back. Well, this absolutely frustrated the master. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. Why didn't you at least deposit it in the bank and draw interest? You did nothing, hear this, you did nothing with what I gave you. You did nothing with that which I trusted you with. He said, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who now has the 10 bags of silver. And Matthew 25 is where the story is told. And it says, to those who use, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So you say, okay, Steve, so what does this story have to do with our study in Colossians? I thought we were doing a study of Colossians. We absolutely are. And these stories do tie together because the master trusted these men to be faithful. And two of the three guys were faithful. They put their master first and they gave their master their very best. Guys, if you were here last week, we started our study in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, we looked at six verses, 15 through 20. Let's look at it again. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. We spent a lot of time talking about this. This doesn't mean the first, first to be born. This means firstborn in priority and importance. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him 
all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. I pointed out, guys, if you were here last week, I pointed out that there's no place in Scripture that gives us a better explanation of Jesus' role in our life than these six verses. I I absolutely love, 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 love the first chapter of Colossians. There's so much to learn, so much to glean from that particular chapter. It said there, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Not the first to be born, but the first in importance and priority. He is, in other words, he is preeminent. Listen to me, friends. God doesn't do second. This is what we need to hear. God doesn't do second. Why? Because he's first. God doesn't do second because he's preeminent. You and I were created. It tells us you and I were created by Jesus and for Jesus. We were created to be in fellowship with him. We were created to be in relationship with him, to be like him. And in order for that to happen, Jesus has to be the priority of our life, not just important to us. I hope that he's important to you, but he needs to be more than that. He needs to be preeminent in your life. He needs to be priority, the most important thing in your life. He must have first place in everything. Jesus told the story of the talents because he wanted us to understand that we are called to be faithful stewards. We are called to be absolutely responsible with our gifts and talents and financial resources that God has entrusted us with. Because one day, guys, one day our master, Jesus, is going to return for us. So that's what the story is illustrating. It's like Jesus went back, ascended back to go to the Father, and in so, he left the church, us as believers, Christians, different gifts and talents. And he's like, I'll come back. I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And when I do, you're gonna give an account to me how you handle the things that I put into your trust, into your charge. He wants to know that while we were on this earth, we were faithful stewards with all he entrusted us with. He wants to know that we made him the priority of our life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, now it is required, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Those who have been given a trust, have you been given a trust? Yes, you have. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, then you have been given a trust. In, in other words, he's saying, I tr-. not only are we supposed to trust him, but he trusts us. And because he trusts us, he trusted us with gifts and talents and time and resources. And the question is, can he really trust you with those things? Should he give you more? Now, guys, everybody has to answer that individually, but if Jesus Christ were to ask the question, or let me look at this different. If, If you were to ask the question about your own life, Have I been faithful enough that God would want to give me more time? Have I been faithful enough that God would want to give me more of these gifts and talents? Have I been faithful enough that God would want to give me more uh, of these financial resources? Have I been so faithful that God says, well done, thy good and faithful servant? 
How have you done so far in handling all that he's entrusted you with? Because guys, I'm just telling you, everything you have belongs to God. Psalms 24, whether you recognize it or not, it's true. In Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. A good steward in the Bible times would never think withholding anything that belonged to his master. He would very quickly acknowledge and say, I'm just managing these things for my master. Well, shouldn't that be even more true for us? I'm just managing these things for Jesus. We should never even consider withholding anything that God would ask from us. We should always give him our first and always give him our best. Now, guys, here's the point that I really want you to get a hold of today. The more we begin to understand, I talked a lot about this last week and the importance of this, but the more we understand the preeminence of Christ, the more concerned we'll be about declaring him first above all things, the more concerned we will be about personal holiness in our life. Again, it's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, seek first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus is saying, look, just seek me first. If you'll seek me first, everything else will take care of itself. You don't need to worry about all the other. We get so caught up and we get so worried and anxious and fearful about things that aren't happening. If you'll just seek God first, God's got a plan. He'll take care of everything else in your life. So we're still in chapter one today in our study, and there's so much again in chapter one. I love it. We're going to look today at verse 24 to 29, and it says, I am happy in my sufferings. And you read that and like, What? I am happy in my sufferings for you. There are things, I don't write that very often. There are things that Christ must still suffer through his body, the church. I am accepting in my body my part of these things that must be suffered. I became a servant of the church because God gave me a special work to do that helps you. And that work is to tell fully the message of God. This message is the secret that was hidden. Some translations say the, uh, the mystery. This message is the secret or the mystery that was hidden from everyone since the beginning of time. But now it is made known to God's holy people. God decided to let his people know this rich and glorious secret which he has for all people. This mystery is Christ himself who is in you. He is our only hope for glory. So we continue to preach Christ to each person using all wisdom to warn and to teach everyone in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature person in Christ. To do this, I work and struggle using Christ's great strength that works so powerfully in me. I want you to see, guys, these six verses can be absolutely, listen, they can be life-changing if we understand them. Now, guys, Paul, when he writes this to the church at Colossae, was in a prison cell. He was in prison for his faith. Because of preaching Christ, he was thrown in prison. And so he writes this letter to the church at Colossae. He'd never met these Christians before, but he'd heard that they were under attack for their faith. He heard that they were discouraged. And so he writes to encourage them to stay the course. He wants them to, to, to not give up. Guys, in a world that we're living today, in a culture that we're living today that absolutely ridicules Christianity, I know that there are some of you that maybe are discouraged. There are some of you that maybe even wonder if this is what you should be doing with your life. But I'm just telling you, stay the course. Finish the race. Stand strong in your faith. 
Verse 24, let's go back and break it down. I'm happy in my sufferings for you, Paul writes. There are things that Christ must still suffer through his body, the church. I am accepting in my body my part of these things that must be suffered. Paul says, listen, I'm happy in my sufferings for you. You read that and you think, Paul, what? What are you talking about? You're happy in your suffering. You know, is something wrong with Paul? No, James actually talks about a similar thing. He says in James chapter one, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Consider joy. Well, maybe Paul is just so spiritual that he doesn't care about the finer things in life or he doesn't care about the comforts of life. Listen, I'm sure Paul enjoyed the comforts of life as much as you do or as much as I do. You say, okay then, Steve, why would Paul give his life to a message he knew was gonna cause him pain, to a message he, was gonna, he knew was gonna cause him suffering or sacrifice? Because guys, he believed that his greatest responsibility in life was serving Jesus. He believed that his greatest obligation in life was serving Christ or putting him first. And it was more important to him than his own personal comfort. Friends, I just want you to get this. Paul was willing to suffer or to make sacrifices if it, if it felt like it would help people step across the line of faith. Serving Jesus was his first priority. And I'm telling you, it's a game changer when you get a hold of this. I love hearing stories when, when all of you, when, at times some of you will write me emails and tell how you've had this aha moment and God's got a hold of your life and this whole area of putting God first. But here's a story from one of the people that attend here at Northview. Watch your screen. I'm William Howard and this is my wife, Danette Howard, and we have two kids. We moved to Carmel in 2014. A friend of mine told us about Northview and really what uh, sold us on visiting was uh, she said they had a fantastic children's ministry. We attended once, one week and the following week and it kind of felt like at that point we started to become regulars. And it was a very welcoming and inviting culture and atmosphere. We just love the community of Northview. Shortly after we came to Northview, we had the opportunity to get involved with the last generosity campaign, Uncharted. We jumped with faith, all in. And there were some challenging times, but we have to put God first. In our household, there is an atmosphere of giving. Not for any expectation or anything back, but that's what we're here to do. We're put here to glorify God, and if our lives can do that, if um, our generosity can draw other people closer to Him, if our generosity can help somebody out there, then all glory to God, that's all that we want to do. One of the, the things that, that um, Pastor Steve says that has really resonated with me is that as a church, we'll do anything short of sin to draw someone um, closer to Christ. And to see that uh, in action at Northview is just, it, it's amazing. And it's been also incredible to be able to become a more um, connected part of the Northview community throughout these last six years. Going into FIRST, what's beautiful about that is that we, we have now the benefit of being able to reflect on Uncharted and um, seeing what God did during the course of that campaign. The prison ministries, the commitment that Northview had to rescuing the young boys who were enslaved in Ghana and that Northview had that partnership 
to be able to see that. It made giving to Northview so easy because giving to Northview is truly giving to God. We're all blessed. You know, we, we live a, a pretty good life. And, and you know, we, we can always you know, be able to reach and give more. And I think Northview provides the opportunity for us to do that and to help instill that in our kids. I'm really excited about having our children uh, more involved. You know, now that they're older, we can have more conversations with them about what it means, what their own generosity looks like, how this extends their faith and their faith walk, why we give. You know, we live in a world that um, doesn't often prioritize putting God first. And I think that that is something that has been a part of our growth journey, a part of our faith walk, is what, what does that really mean? It's about the legacy that we're building and leaving for our children and the generations that come after us. And that all comes back to putting God first. Whether you have what might be considered a little or what might be considered a lot, whatever we have, God just wants us to give our first and our best. And so through our collective generosity at Northview, we really do stand as a bright light. With our faith and in God, you know, in front of us, you know, we excitingly look forward to the next giving season. So guys, the question is, are you willing to make sacrifices? Are you willing to set aside your own comforts, as Paul talked about, so that your friends and neighbors might discover a relationship with Jesus Christ? Listen, Paul talks about how important it is that we all make these sacrifices. And I know some of you are saying, well, I'm not sure I understand what you mean by a sacrifice. A simple definition is, a sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. Did you catch that? To give up something you love for something you love even more. Paul actually calls this a joyful sacrifice. He loved seeing people come to Christ even more than he loved his personal comforts. Friends, Jesus is worth the sacrifice. Lost people are worth the sacrifice. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Did you catch that? God loves a cheerful giver. And the word is, in the original Greek language, is hilaros. But in the English language, it is the word we use, hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Do you ever give, do, do you so love to give that it just makes you laugh? You just laugh with joy as you help people out that are hurting. Paul loved making sacrifices for the kingdom of God. And he's encouraging us to make sacrifices with that same type of joyful attitude. Think about childbirth. Haven't you ever heard somebody say, you know, childbirth, it's a beautiful thing. Well, guys, if you've ever seen a birth, you know there's not much beautiful about the process. There's certainly not much beautiful about the pain a mother goes through. So then who would willingly go through that? Well, almost every mother would respond in a heartbeat. If that's what it would take to bring my child into the world, it is totally worth it. 
Paul's gone through all kinds of hardships. If you read the New Testament, you read it, he's been shipwrecked, snake bitten, he's been beaten, whipped, thrown in prison over and over again. He's gone through all kinds of hardships for the gospel. And as we said, he's even writing this, this letter from a prison cell. And he says to the Colossians, this is how I feel about you. I'm happy in my suffering because I know what it's gonna produce in you. In other words, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I will give whatever I need to give. I'm gonna pay whatever price I must pay in order for you to have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, seriously, guys, don't you feel that way about your immediate family? Don't you feel that way about close friends? Wouldn't you do whatever you need to do and make whatever sacrifices you need to make so that your friends and your family would step across the line of faith? Friends, and, 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 if, and if you shrug at that and say, well, I don't know if I would or not. If you don't feel that way, I don't really know what to say. Maybe you just really don't believe what the Scripture teaches about heaven and hell. Paul says, I am happy in my sufferings. Some translations say, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my sacrifices so that people I don't even know can discover a relationship with a God that loves them so much. In fact, for those of you that made a sacrificial gift, listen, those of you that made a sacrificial gift a few years ago in our Uncharted initiative, well, you should rejoice in what you did. Because of your sacrifices, little boys and girls in Ghana have been rescued from slavery on Lake Volta. Yeah. Because of your sacrifices, over a thousand people every year have stepped across the line of faith and invited Jesus into their life. Yes. Because of your sacrifices, there are now 12 campuses. Four of those campuses are in prisons. Because of your sacrifices, you have sponsored over 2,650 children in Ghana. Yes. You know, um, I don't think I shared this with you, but Steve Spear, who spoke that day, for those of you that are guests, what we did is that for World Vision, we sponsored children in Ghana because we're gonna be working in Ghana, taking short-term trips, taking people over to Ghana to work with the, uh, with the children and with the uh, churches there. But we, we switched it. So instead of us pick, taking a picture of a child and say, we wanna sponsor this child, what we did that weekend is we said, I wanna sponsor a child, so we took pictures of families of Northview that wanted to sponsor a child. We sent it over to Ghana, and we hung those up, and the kids came in, and they picked the family that they wanted. And then they took a picture of that child holding up our pictures. Well, the next weekend, all those were sent back, and so you were going to pick up your envelope. Well, Steve Spear, who was here and spoke and told us about all this the week before, I go out into the Carmel Atrium, and there he stands. He's from Chicago, and I'm like, well, what in the world are you doing here? And he said, I could not not be here. He, he said, I just wanted to watch the faces of Northview people as they opened up their envelopes and saw the children holding their pictures. Guys, we sponsored, 2,650 was three times more than any other church that they've ever had sponsored children. And he said, Steve, let me just say this. He said, I don't think, we stood out there and talked for a long time, and he said, I don't think the people of Northview really understand what they've just done. He said, this is gonna change a country. 
He said, this is not only going to change the trajectory of that child's life, but this is going to change the trajectory of a family's life. This is going to change the trajectory of a country. Oftentimes, we think, Steve, we're just one church. I mean, we're just like a dot in this big globe that we live, this big world that we live in. But the fact is, guys, we really are making a difference. You are making a difference when you get behind these initiatives and sponsor children or whatever else we're talking about. Guys, are you beginning to understand what Paul is saying here? Notice he says, there are, there are things that Christ must still suffer through his body or through the church. Now you read that and you're like, well, wait a minute, am I reading that correctly, Paul? Are you saying that there's more to salvation than what Jesus did on the cross? Are you saying that we need to add something more to salvation? No, absolutely not. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul has made it clear here in Colossians as well as other places in Scripture that Christ's work on the cross was sufficient. Salvation is complete in Christ and in Christ alone. And yet there are still things that we need to do there are still things that we have a responsibility to do. We need to tell the world about Jesus. Because if your friends never hear about Christ, then how will they ever respond? Listen, I love what Martin Luther said. He said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. Think about that. It wouldn't matter what Christ did on the cross if we never told anybody about it. Carl Henry said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The gospel of Jesus Christ is only good news to your neighbor if your neighbor hears about it. It's only good news to your coworker if your coworker hears about it. Paul wants us to understand that we need to make whatever sacrifices we can to make sure that the message gets there in time. Let's look at verse 25 again. I became a servant of the church because God gave me a special work to do that helps you. And that work is to tell fully the message of God. Guys, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a steward of the gospel. You say, well, I don't want to be a steward. It doesn't matter whether you want to be or not. The fact is you are. If you have invited Christ into your life, then you have an obligation. You have a responsibility to be a steward of the gospel. You say, what does that even mean? In other words, you are a manager. You are a messenger of the gospel. Notice he says that God gave me a special work to do. Every one of us have been given an individual assignment. This is not just the responsibility of the church. This is the responsibility of every single believer. We've been given an individual assignment, a commission, a responsibility, a mandate, an obligation. God gave you this specific purpose before you were ever in your mother's womb. It's the kind of thing that if you don't do it, well, guys, people could miss heaven. Basically, basically look at it this way. You've been given one job. You've been given one job to do. Now, I know some of you struggle, and you're, you're constantly trying to figure out, well, what's God's plan for my life? And what I, Steve, I'm really I, I'm frustrated because I can't seem to hear from God what he wants me to do. The reality is you have one job to do. And every, yes, you've been given specific talents, and yes, there's specific things God wants you to do, but it always leads back to this one thing. Every one of us have been given one job to do. Have you seen those memes that use the expression, you only had one job. You only had one job. I pulled a few of them. You only had one job. You only had one job. You only had one job. You get this one? You only had one job. 
I only had one job. I obviously think these are funnier than you do, but anyway, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to show those to you today. Guys, you only have one job to do, but do you really understand what that job is? Seriously, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28, he said, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. We are to make the word of God fully known. But guys, that goes, understand please, that goes even deeper than salvation. It goes even deeper than getting someone to step across the line of faith. We need to make sure that people are growing in their knowledge and their understanding of Christ. We have responsibility to not only make sure they're saved, but to make sure they're discipled and growing in their faith. And that's why I constantly, I know you may get tired of it, but that's why I constantly talk about the importance of getting into the Word of God. How in the world can you have a biblical worldview if you don't know what it says? You know, you can say you're a follower of Christ, but that doesn't mean you have a biblical worldview. That doesn't mean that you're building your foundation on the truth of God's Word. You need to get into the Word of God. It's important that we read it, to learn from it, to study it. Friends, the Bible is more than just a good book. It's God's Word. It's divine revelation. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God making himself known to humankind. The, God, the Bible is a compilation of 66 books or letters written by over 40 different authors over a time span, think of this, over a time span of 1,500 years in three different languages, and yet there were no contradictions. Uh, there oftentimes I'll hear people say, well, you know, the Bible, it just contradicts itself. And I'm like, it's because you don't understand it. The Bible does not contradict itself in any place. The only reason you think that is because you're not in it and don't understand it. Once you understand it, you'll see that that's true. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he writes, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults and for teaching how to live right. Using the Scriptures, the person who serves God will be capable, having all that is needed to do every good work. So let me ask you, guys, are you being faithful? God trusts you. Are you being faithful with those things he's entrusted you with? Are you being trustworthy? Are you declaring God first in all things? Paul doesn't say it's a secret or, or like some translations, a mystery. But he says it's the secret. It's the mystery. It's the mystery that's now been made known to God's people. The next verse actually tells us that the mystery made known is Christ. Christ is what this whole thing is about. Everything points to Jesus because Jesus is preeminent. He's first before all things. Jesus was the coming Messiah. Yes, he's the promised one. He fulfilled, think about this, guys, in the Old Testament, full of prophet, prophecies. He fulfilled 400 prophecies in 61 different areas from the virgin birth to being betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, to being crucified between two thieves. Listen, the probability of any person even fulfilling eight of those 400 prophecies is like one to 100 with 18 zeros behind it. In other words, it's impossible. Lee Strobel addressed those odds in one of his books. I love this quote, he talks about it. He says, imagine the entire world being covered with white tiles that were one and a half inches square with the bottom of just one tile being painted red. And then you wandered around all seven continents and then bent down to pick up one tile. 
what are the odds it would be the one tile whose reverse side was painted red? The odds would be the same as just eight of the Old Testament prophecies coming true in any one person throughout history. Verse 27, God decided to let his people know this rich and glorious secret which he has for all people. This mystery is Christ himself who is in you. He is our only hope for glory. He's our only hope for glory. Listen, not only is Christ the secret or mystery revealed, but it's also, it's Christ in you. Salvation, guys, was not just for the Jews, but it's for all humankind. Friends, listen, friends and coworkers should look at our lives. Hear me on this, guys. For our friends and coworkers should look at our lives and see something they can only describe as mysterious or unusual. In the culture and the world that we're living today, they should look at our lives and say, man, that's just different, that's just odd. Our neighbors and family should look at how we live, how we give, how we forgive, how we, how we love, how we sacrifice. And they should say, man, what motivates a person to live like that? What motivates a person to do that? I'll tell you what, what motivates a person to do that, and that's Christ and Christ alone. There's a story, a uh, true story, actually, about William uh, Borden uh, of the Borden Milk Company. He was the heir to the Borden Milk Company. He was to, it was eventually going to be his to run. But as a young man, he decided that he wasn't interested in that, that he wanted to go on the mission field to Egypt. And so he went, and he was only there a few months, and he contracted meningitis, and he died. Just a few hours before he died, someone, as they sat with him, someone asked him if he saw going to the mission field as a terrible mistake. He could hardly talk. They handed him a piece of paper, and he scribbled out on the paper, no regret. No regret. He's buried in Cairo, and his tombstone says, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Our lives, guys, listen to me, please. Our lives should scream. It's all worth it because of Jesus. Verse 28, it says, so we continue to preach Christ to each person using all wisdom to warn and to teach everyone in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature person in Christ. To do this, I work and struggle using Christ's great strength that works so powerfully in me. He says, so we continue to preach Christ to each and every person. Guys, can I give you just a, a very quick lesson in discipleship? The very best, listen, the very best way to grow your faith is to help other people discover a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can read, there's nothing you can listen to, there's nothing you can memorize that will do more to grow your faith in Christ than to share Christ with other people. I've shared my story before, but the first time for me was I went to, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I went with a, our, our church group to uh, Explo 72. Explo 72 was in Dallas, Texas. It was the first Jesus rally in, in the United States where they brought in 80,000 young people from all across America. And during the day, they taught us how to share our faith. And then they put us on buses in the afternoon with cards, with addresses, and sent 80,000 young people into the Dallas community. We went, we went to these doors. 
I was with another young girl and went to the first door and I asked the questions they taught me to ask. The gal uh, uh, answered positively, a, a mother at home, and she invited us in. So we came in and we sat down. I go through the presentation they taught me and asked her if she'd like to pray to invite Christ into her life. She said, I would. So we knelt down at her coffee table there and I led her through a prayer to invite Jesus in her life. I can tell you, it changed that woman's life, I hope, forever. I hope it changed her, but I can promise you it changed me. I was never the same after that. I mean, I was hooked. At that point, I will, all I wanted to do was share my faith with other people. Man, once you experience helping somebody cross the line of faith, it's addictive. And we, we came back and we were sharing with anybody and everybody. We were going to bars. We were going anywhere and everywhere sharing our faith with those that were far from Christ. Listen, Paul says, in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature person in Christ. Guys, that's only going to happen when we put Christ first before all things. And that's what this generosity initiative that we're doing right now is all about. I know that some may question, uh, have questions or question our motives, and that's fine. But I'm just telling you, we certainly, we hope to raise $77 million over two years. But I would tell you, and I've been telling our staff this over and over, our number one priority is 100% engagement. I want everyone that calls Northview their church home to get off the sidelines and into the game. I want everyone that calls Northview their church home to be all in when it comes to their walk with the Lord. God wants us to declare him first. And as you work towards putting Christ first in your life, and when you, as you do that, I promise you, radical generosity will become an important part of who you are, an important part of your life. Friends, God will never do anything through us until we allow him to do something in us. God will never do anything through us until we allow him to do something in us. You will never take on the nature of Christ until you have a generous heart. You know, this card, we gave it to you last week and some of you today inside of your uh, booklet, this commitment card is a card that eventually here in the next few weeks we're going to ask you to pray about and fill out or, or to fill it out. I'm not asking you to fill it out today, but I am asking you to use this. Listen to me. I'm asking you to use this as a discipleship tool that you'll keep it in a place where you pray every day or, or, or uh, your medicine cabinet, wherever, wherever you'll see it every day as a reminder that we need to put Christ first in our life. Now, obviously, that's going to mean something different for each and every one of us. For some of you, it's going to be the first time that you've ever trusted God with your finances. And as that happens, I believe that God's going to begin to change your heart. Others of you are going to put down a number on this card that's bigger than anything you've ever dreamed of giving before. Something, you're going to put down something that truly reflects the firstness of Christ. I know that's certainly true for Sandy and me. I told you about that last week. God is stretching our faith. He's challenging us to trust him in even greater ways than we have before. When it came to Uncharted several years ago, we committed the largest amount we had ever given in our lives. It scared us, it was, made us anxious. And yet when it was all said and done, God was faithful and he blessed us. 
And so here we are again, we're praying again about God, what do you want us to do? And we haven't come up with that figure yet, but so far the figure that we keep throwing back and forth is larger than that figure. It's bigger than anything we've ever done. We said we saw God was faithful there, we believe that he'll be faithful again. Let me say it this way. Guys, if God has given you pebbles, he may not expect you to build a wall, but he does expect you to build. So just be faithful. Listen, just be faithful with whatever God has entrusted you with. God's not looking for the same amount from each one of us, but I do believe he's asking each one of us to give in a way that reflects that he is first, that he is preeminent in our life. So I'm just asking, guys, if you would start to pray now. This, if you're married, the two of you pray. Pray separately and pray together and just see if you don't come together on what God's laying on your heart because I really do believe that if you ask, he'll show you. I really do. With everything within my being, he'll show you what he wants you to do. Well, guys, once a month, uh, we do what we call miracle prayer because we believe in a miracle-working God. Some of you may say, what's a miracle? A miracle is when God steps into your situation. You may be at the end of your rope. You may be ready to hit a wall, and you cry out to God, and God steps in. That's a miracle. And we believe God's still performing miracles today. So once a month, I ask a group of people to come up here and to pray. It's not a counseling session. It's strictly to focus in on your prayer and to pray. And so we give you that opportunity. So in a second here, I'll dismiss the service. And if you need a miracle, if you need prayer, I ask you to stick around a while. The lines go very quickly. Uh, and you say, well, gosh, I've got to be somebody, but I need a miracle. I think I'd be late. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and I'm going to ask those of you that are going to help me up here uh, if you'd find your way to the front. Well, God, I just thank you and I praise you for who you are and all that you do in our lives. And I just thank you, God, that um, you love us and you're patient with us and long-suffering with us. And God, that you trust us. God, I pray that would just soak in, that you trust us. And you've trusted us with gifts and talents and time. You've trusted us with abilities. And I just pray this week that that thought would literally overwhelm us that it'll be on our mind all week long. That God, all week long, we'll ponder that and think about that, and it'll begin to, to just get a grip on our heart. Thank you, God. We love you and we praise you. We just ask that you go with us as we go into another week. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. See you next weekend.